Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season out there. I'm going to be continuing on with the holiday stories today, but today it's a, it's a fresh one. It's not a repeat and it's something a bit different. Today I'm going to be doing the story of Hanukkah as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children were walking home from school. It was very late. They'd set out from school at the normal time, 3.30pm, but as they were walking past the local cricket pitch, the sprinkler system had come on. Nanny Piggins felt it was a crime to walk past any sprinkler system without running underneath the spray, screaming with delight. So she and the children had done just this. All the neighbourhood children had soon joined them, and they'd had a wonderful time running around like idiots for the best part of an hour. Then, when the groundskeeper turned the sprinklers off and chased them all away, since they were already wet, Nanny Piggins, Boris, Derek, Samantha and Michael and all the neighbourhood children went down to the creek to hunt for tadpoles. They didn't find any tadpoles, but they did find some tremendous mud, which Nanny Piggins insisted that they should all roll in because mud is so medicinal for the skin. According to her, even if you don't have skin problems, mud will cure future skin problems. And since none of the children wanted to grow up to be pimply teenagers, they all did as they were told and rolled around in the mud for another hour. And then, just to be sociable, they threw mud at each other for another half hour, until their mothers turned up and told them off. The mothers were horrified by the mess, which Nanny Piggins could understand. She didn't enjoy mopping floors either. Luckily, the local fire chief owed her a favour. She had shot herself in through his upstairs bathroom window and saved his cat when his own house was on fire. So the fire chief brought a fire truck down to the creek and blasted all the children with his high-powered hoses, and they all returned home spotlessly clean, if a little soggy. And that is how Nanny Piggins and the children came to be walking the last few blocks home just as it was getting dark. They were ambling along in contented silence when Michael noticed something. One of the houses had a candle holder with several lit candles in the window. It was unusual because the candlestick had space for so many candles, four on either side of one higher one in the middle. What is that? asked Michael, pointing to the candles. Oh, that's a menorah, said Nanny Piggins. That's a Jewish tradition. The eight candles of the menorah are lit over eight days to celebrate Hanukkah. What's Hanukkah? asked Samantha. Oh, that's a long story, said Nanny Piggins. Fortunately, I know all the details because one of my relatives was there at the time. Of course they were, said Derek. Will you tell us the story? asked Michael. Well, I would, said Nanny Piggins, but we'd need to get hold of ten dozen jam-filled doughnuts first. We would, asked Michael. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. You can't talk about Hanukkah without eating jam-filled doughnuts. That would just be wrong. Now, it just so happened that they were only one block away from Hans' bakery at this moment, which gave Boris an idea. 
Would you like me to break into Hans Bakery and borrow some doughnuts? asked Boris. Oh, no need, said Nanny Piggins. I've got a key. Hans grew tired of me breaking in and damaging the locks or windows or chimney stacks, and he says he'd prefer it if I just let myself in. He's got Mr. Green's credit card number, so long as I leave a little note telling him what I borrowed so he can deduct the appropriate amount from Mr. Green's account, Hans doesn't mind at all. What a considerate businessman, said Boris. And so, 15 minutes later, they were sitting in their own living room munching on jam filled doughnuts as Nanny Piggins told them about the history of Hanukkah. It all began 2,200 years ago in the ancient Middle Eastern story days, began Nanny Piggins. Well, actually, no, that's not quite true. It actually really began 2,350 years ago in the ancient Greek story days. Ancient Greece, said Derek. What have the ancient Greeks got to do with Hanukkah? Well, if you listen quietly for a few minutes, I'll explain, snapped Nanny Piggins. Sorry, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. 2,350 years ago, began Nanny Piggins again, there was a Greek king called Alexander the Great. Was he great? asked Michael. Well, he certainly thought so, said Nanny Piggins. And if winning wars and taking over other people's countries makes you great, then yes, indeed he was. Because Alexander conquered all the land from Greece to India. What? said Derek. But there are so many countries between Greece and India. There's the whole Middle East for a start. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. That was where the problem began. One man taking over all those different countries. And the problem was made worse when Alexander the Great died. Oh dear, whimpered Boris. It was probably for the best, said Nanny Piggins. He was only 32 when he died, and he'd already taken over one and a half continents worth of countries. If he'd lived into old age, he would have taken over the entire planet and then had to invent spaceships so he could take over other planets as well. Anyway, after he died, no one else was quite as good at conquering as him, so Alexander's empire was split up to be ruled by various Greek kings. There was a Greek king in Syria, there was a Greek king in Egypt, and of course a Greek king in Greece. And at the time, Judea, which was the homeland of the Jews at the time, was being run by a Syrian king who was really Greek called Antiochus III. Now, Antiochus was not too bad. He allowed the Jewish people to keep their traditions and customs and do what they liked in their own temple. But then one day, Antiochus III died. Gosh, no, said Boris. I've only known about him for one minute, and he seemed so nice. Boris, do try to remember. It all happened 2,300 years ago, said Nanny Piggins. You don't need to be sad about it anymore. But Boris just whimpered. <laughs> He wasn't good at compartmentalizing his emotions, so Nanny Piggins continued on regardless. After Antiochus III, Antiochus IV came to power, and he was not so nice, said Nanny Piggins. In fact, some people called him Antiochus the Madman. Oh dear, said Samantha. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. And Antiochus the Madman was really nasty, said Nanny Piggins. He declared war on Egypt and marched across the desert to attack them. But this made the Romans really annoyed. The Romans, exclaimed Derek. I thought this was a story about the Jewish people. And the ancient Greeks, added Michael. It is, said Nanny Piggins, but the Romans were around then too, and they were the big powerful ones that everyone else had to listen to. They ordered Antiochus the Madman to stop attacking Egypt. Now, being told what to do really, really annoyed Antiochus, but the Romans were too big and tough for him to fight, so he sulked the whole way home to Syria.
Now, if you look it up on the map, the journey from Egypt to Syria took him straight through Judea. And since he couldn't attack the Romans, he decided to take his temper tantrum out on the Jewish people instead. He attacked the city of Jerusalem, stole everything of value, killed thousands of Jewish people and totally wrecked their temple. What a rotter! exclaimed Boris. Indeed. Then Antiochus banned all the Jewish religious practices and customs, said Nanny Piggins, which is where my great-great-great-great-great to 92 greats cousin Naomi Piggins comes in. You see, one of the traditional Jewish practices was that they never, ever ate pork or bacon or ham. No pig products! Good for them, said Boris. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. The pig population highly approved of this tradition. So when Antiochus was trying to force the Jews to stop their traditions and take up Greek traditions, eating pork was one of the things he tried to force them to do. And this is where Zeus got involved, said Nanny Piggins. Zeus, said Derek. Zeus was involved in the story of Hanukkah. Well, not directly, admitted Nanny Piggins. He didn't turn up in person. But the Greeks were just crazy for Zeus. Why, asked Samantha, Zeus did so many dreadful things. Yes, but he was very manly and charming about it, said Nanny Piggins. And the ancient Greeks believed that Zeus was the king of the gods. So they wanted to stay on his good side. So Antiochus took the temple in Jerusalem from the Jewish people and rededicated it to Zeus. Zeus was the only god you were allowed to worship there. And to worship Zeus, Antiochus ordered it that pigs be slaughtered on the altar. Oh my goodness, that's horrible, wailed Boris. It was, agreed Nanny Piggins. Imagine the poor butcher whose job it was to find a pig in Jerusalem. He was practically tearing his hair out because Jewish people didn't eat pork. There weren't many pigs in that neighbourhood. There was only one pig he knew of, an incredibly glamorous and stunningly beautiful pig called Naomi Piggins. But what was a pig doing in ancient Judea, asked Michael. Well, you see, she was a clinical cake research scientist, said Nanny Piggins. A what, asked Samantha? A clinical cake research scientist, repeated Nanny Piggins. You see, back in the ancient story times, chocolate had not been invented yet. And so chocolate cake had not been invented yet either, which may go a long way to explaining why there were so many wars and conquerings. People must have been very grumpy. So my dear cousin Naomi had devoted her life to finding a dessert that would enrich people's lives by enriching the sugar content of their diet. What did she come up with, asked Michael. Dates, said Nanny Piggins. They grew everywhere on palm trees in the Middle East. They're tricky to pick because the trees are very tall and prickly. But Naomi was a Piggins, so an incredibly naturally talented athlete. She built a huge catapult and fired herself at the top of the date trees. And as she sailed through the air, she would catch hold of the palm leaves and then pick all the dates before dropping to the ground. Wow, said Michael. Oh no, that wasn't the wow bit, said Nanny Piggins. The truly impressive bit was what she did next. She made these dates, which you must remember were just fruit, into a wonderful creation called Sticky Date Pudding. Oh, I've heard of that, said Michael. Of course you've heard of that, said Nanny Piggins. Everyone's heard of that. It's delicious. 
But imagine living in a world where no chocolate exists. Then one day, a stunningly beautiful, breathtakingly athletic pig invents sticky date pudding. It was the greatest breakthrough in medical technology ever. Is a pudding really a breakthrough in medical technology, asked Derek. Back then, the only medical technology was letting leeches suck your blood and burning feathers under your nose, said Nanny Piggins. So yes, it was better than any other medical technology prior to that point. In fact, it's a wonder she wasn't awarded the Nobel Prize. But the Nobel Prizes didn't start until 1901, Derek pointed out. Well, if they were such clever clogs at the Nobel Prizes, they would invent a time machine and go back and give my cousin Naomi one, declared Nanny Piggins, because she definitely deserved one for inventing the sticky date pudding. The children decided it would be wise to change the subject now because Nanny Piggins was clearly getting emotional. So what happened when the butcher went looking for Naomi, asked Samantha. The butcher was a well-meaning chap, really, said Nanny Piggins. He explained the situation to Naomi and asked very politely if she would mind terribly being sacrificed on the altar as a tribute to Zeus. Naomi felt sorry for him, but not sorry enough to agree to that, said Nanny Piggins. She jumped in her catapult and fired herself at the city of Jerusalem. She attacked the city, asked Michael. No, said Nanny Piggins. She was just using the catapult as a means of transport. Naomi was just going to Jerusalem to give Antiochus the madman a piece of her mind. And so she was walking down the main street of Jerusalem, thinking up some really cutting things to say and planning how hard she was going to stomp on Antiochus's foot when a band of rebel fighters turned the corner and started walking with her. Oh, hello, said Naomi Piggins. My name is Naomi Piggins. Where are you off to? We're the Maccabees, said the rebel fighters. We're going to go into town to wallop Antiochus's army and make them all go home to Syria. That sounds splendid, said Naomi Piggins. Do you mind if I join you? Not at all, said the Maccabees. And that's just what they did. The Maccabees fought long and hard. They overpowered the much stronger Syrian army and drove them all out of Judea. And then they reclaimed their temple. When the Maccabees saw what Antiochus had done to the temple, they were very upset. There were Zeus posters up everywhere, the altar had been totally ruined, and all the sacred oil that was used to light the menorah in the temple had been spoiled. When they cleaned up the mess, they found only one bottle of sacred oil that was still intact with the seal of their holy priest. This was awful. They really wanted to get the temple back to how it should be, but there was only enough oil for one day, and it would take eight days to pick olives and press them to make more oil. But the Maccabees were very optimistic people, probably because they'd been eating a lot of Naomi Piggins' sticky day pudding, and a dessert that sugary does give one a glass-half-full attitude. So they decided to light the menorah and hope for the best. And that is what they did. They poured in the oil and lit the menorah. And that is when a miracle occurred. That one day's worth of oil lasted all eight days until more oil could be made and blessed. And after all the dreadful things that had happened to their people and their city, this miracle filled the Jewish people with gratitude and hope. And they commemorate that miracle to this day by celebrating Hanukkah and lighting a candle every day for days. Blast off with Space Vacation the Musical as the Bloom family from the bright yellow planet takes a wild, weird, and wonderful intergalactic summer vacation. With original songs and stellar comedy, their trip goes delightfully haywire. 
fun and adventure for all ages. Space Vacation the Musical on all podcast platforms now. Subscribe today. So, um, why are we eating donuts, asked Derek. Well, that's because of Naomi Piggins' second great medical breakthrough, said Nanny Piggins. Did this one involve medicine, asked Samantha. Oh, no, it was much better than that, said Nanny Piggins. This one involved donuts. Naomi Piggins invented the jam-filled donut. You see, once the Maccabees pressed the olives and made olive oil for the menorah, there was lots of oil left over, and that got Naomi's creative dessert brain thinking. What if instead of baking a cake, you deep-fried a cake? And what if instead of making a regular plain cake, you filled it with jam? And that is how she invented the Safghania, or as we call it, the jam-filled donut. Because one of the ways people celebrate Hanukkah is by eating fried foods to remember the oil in the menorah in the temple all those years ago. Oh, that's lovely, said Boris. And that is the story of Hanukkah, said Nanny Piggins. The end, time for bed. But we've still got some donuts left, said Michael. Oh, yes, then we'd better eat those first, agreed Nanny Piggins. And that is the end of the story. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, That story is long overdue. I promised my friend Lindy Michaels that I would write a Hanukkah story many years ago. I'll explain what happened. When Nanny Piggins first came out in America, it was a few years after it had come out in Australia because the American edition was illustrated and that took longer to put together. So anyway, there was a delay. Um, And when it came out in America... Um, I wasn't sure how it would go because I was completely unknown in America and, you know, it was my first book. No one knew anything about me. So it was going to be very hard to to get people's attention and get people to buy the book because America is such a huge country and there's hundreds of children's books coming out every week. So I was really unsure how it was going to go. So the book went on sale and I was just waiting to see what would happen. And after a couple of months, I got this email from this lady at a bookstore in Los Angeles, and her name was Lindy Michaels, and she worked at Barnes & Noble on Studio City. And she wrote to me, and she said that she was in a competition with all the staff at her local Barnes & Noble, and the deal was that they each had to pick a book, and they had one month to then try and sell as many copies of that book as possible. And she had picked my book. And so she wanted me, she picked Nanny Piggins, which is amazing because, you know, my book had only been out a short time and I was just like very, I was chuffed that she picked my book. But she contacted me because what she wanted was she wanted me to send her heaps of stickers with my autograph so that she could stick them in the front of the book to help sell the book. So I was like, sure, I can do that. So I signed like hundreds of of my signature on stickers and I shipped them out to her in Los Angeles. And she set to work selling my book and she did not mess around. Lindy sold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of my book that month. And she won the sales competition. And the deal was if you won, (laughs) your name plus the title of the book would go up on the marquee outside the bookstore because you got to visualize this. This bookstore in Studio City in Los Angeles was uh, an old cinema and it was like an 
very old-fashioned cinema with an old 1920s-style marquee where you could put up, like they would have originally put up the titles of the movies that were showing, but instead they put up, you know, uh, winner of the, the, the book sales competition, Lindy Michaels, with The Adventures of Nanny Piggins by R.A. Spratt. So all that was on this marquee outside this huge bookstore in Studio City in, in Los Angeles, and she sent me photos, and it was just the coolest thing ever. So I promised that if ever I went to America to promote my books, I would go and visit her. Now, I couldn't do it at the time because when the Nanny Piggins books first came out, my children were very little. Like, I literally got my book deal with the Australian publisher the day after my first child was born. I was literally in the maternity ward holding my baby when I got the phone call from my agent saying that I was going to get my book published. So, and then I had another baby three years later. So, it wasn't until like, my kids, my youngest one, I think was two or three, I finally managed to get away for 10 days and I got over to America and um, I went and met my publishers in New York and I went and met Lindy in Los Angeles and it was fantastic and we hit it off right away and she took me to visit all these schools and she was listening to me do presentations and when I did presentations, I would always tell the story, Nanny Piggins Saves Christmas because I know that story so well and it's it's like a really cheerful, upbeat story and it's only got the main characters. It's a really good one to do for school visits. And Lindy is Jewish, so she would always hassle me in the car afterwards. When are you going to write a Nanny Piggins Hanukkah story? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course I will. But I didn't realize by the time I was in America promoting the third book that had been released in America, I was winding up. I'd, I was started, I'd, I'd finished Nanny Piggins here and I was writing Friday Barnes. And I thought I would get back to writing Nanny Piggins, but I just didn't. They didn't commission another Nanny Piggins book. So it was only when I started doing this podcast at the beginning of COVID um, in early 2020 that I started to write for Nanny Piggins again. And so finally, this Christmas, I thought I must write a Hanukkah episode for Lindy. So that's why that is the story of why this episode is all about Hanukkah. Um, And so a big shout out to Lindy. She's retired now. She doesn't work at Barnes & Noble in Studio City anymore. But uh, she was was just awesome. Like booksellers – uh, you don't realize what an impact they have. Like they have a big impact on kids because they pair children with books that are perfect for them. Like if you get a good bookseller, they'll look at a kid, they'll talk to them, they'll get to know them, and they'll say, I know what you'll like, you'll like this, and they'll be really good at figuring out what a kid likes. And that makes such a big difference because you know how it is if you read a book and it's like, oh, I didn't like it. it can put you off reading the next book. Whereas if you read a book that's like, oh, that was wonderful, what do I read next? You know, you can read everything by that author, and then you can go back to that really smart bookseller and say, what do you recommend next? And this can lead to a whole love of reading if you just get paired at the right moment with the right book. So booksellers have this huge impact for readers, but they also have a huge impact for authors because generally speaking, people like me, we do not make a lot of money. I know people think about JK Rowling and I don't know, um, Jessica Towns, anything. Oh, book, writing books is really lucrative. It's not. It's the world's worst get rich quick scheme. So when you get a really enthusiastic bookseller who um, they call it hand selling when they like literally go around the bookstore badgering people to buy your book. It makes a huge difference to me and just my lifestyle here with my children and what I can afford to do with them. So I'm very, very grateful to Lindy, but I'm also grateful to all the booksellers out there who do the kind of things that Lindy did. Um, and because they put so much work and passion into their job and they're often just earning minimum wage working in a bookstore and they just do it because they love reading and they love kids and they love books. So thank you to all the booksellers out there. And also 
Let's come full circle and say um, happy Hanukkah to everyone out there who celebrates Hanukkah. It was really cool writing this story because I had celebrated Hanukkah when I lived in Israel when I was 19 on a kibbutz as a volunteer, you know, 28 years ago, but I didn't really know that much about it. And I researched it for this story. And it was really cool because doing this podcast and learning about stories from all around the world, you f- you realize how much all our stories from all our cultures, they overlap like layers upon each other. And we think of our cultures like and uh, our religions as being separate from each other, and they are, but they also overlap in time and history. And so it was really interesting reading this story and realizing, oh my goodness, this overlaps with Greek history and Roman history. So it was really interesting to research this story, and I've learned a lot, and I hope you've learned a lot, and I hope you've enjoyed these stories. Okay, so next week we're back. We've got another Christmas story. No, actually next week. I've got a Boxing Day story. So all the people in America who don't know what Boxing Day is, you're going to find out about that next week. All right. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.